We're back. 2224 Common Sense Ohio. That's 2224. The numbers sort of, I don't know, they tickle me somehow. <laughs> anyway, uh, Common Sense Ohio coming at you week in and week out from Ohio, right from the middle, as we like to say. Uh, brought to you, of course, by Harper Plus Accounting. Uh, my accountant could be yours. And, uh, you know, as Brett's pointing to his Harper Plus. Is that thing a coffee mug, tumbler? I don't know what the hell it is, but anyway, it's a it's a fancy probably mug. an espresso thing, which never has touched espresso. <laughs> right, right. But Harper Plus Accounting, you know, it is that time. I dare you to try to get a hold of your accountant right now, or you better get a hold of your accountant now because in about three weeks you won't be able to get a hold of your accountant. But not at Harper Plus, where they've got a team that uh, helps me plan all year long, even in their busiest season. Uh, I will give them a little bit of slack, of course, in uh, March and April because they are really, really busy. But uh, Harper Plus Accounting, bringing Common Sense Ohio to you week in and week out. And if you want to check out the old episodes, you go to commonsenseohioshow.com where you can catch the catalog of old episodes. We're on video now, so you can check us out on Facebook, YouTube, wherever they have videos. It's above my pay grade. We've got the people here fixing that up. Uh, Norm, typically here, not. I guess he's got a mouthful of gauze from a dentist visit. Um, but filling a seat, we have a guest. We have uh, George Pardos. And if you don't know George Pardos, I didn't until he called me. But he he has something really, really cool in town. And anybody who's listened to the backlog of shows knows that we sort of have a special place for the veterans organizations and the veterans who have served the country, ironically, because I never did. And maybe that's my own um, thought. If I Sometimes I tell my myself, like, if I have one regret, I didn't go serve back when I was in high, or right out of high school or right out of college. And I, I, I don't know if I have guilt for that, but it's one of those things that I, I sort of think, yeah. That would have been a good thing. To I think do. every eighteen-year-old boy thinks about it, and and you know it goes through their head. It yeah. does because hey, in high school you got the recruiters coming in talking yep. to you. It's it's an option. Yep. It just comes down to what you want to do with your life. And those that serve, thank God they did. Yeah, and do. And and my dad used to say, um, you know, life was the our country was better when everybody had to serve. The military was better, and the population was better, and everybody was a little bit more mature and a little bit more capable. Uh, and, you know, the merits of that, I don't need, we don't need to debate it here. But his idea was, you know, if you're going to college, do it three years after and you're a little bit more mature. So you don't go to college just to get drunk for four years. You actually have a goal. And uh, yeah. I'm proud to say my son's plan right now is to go into the military uh, and then do something afterwards. But anyway, George, welcome to the show. You first time here at Channel 511 or Studio C at Channel 511. Uh, why don't we just start introduce yourself, man? Yeah. All right. My name is George Pardos. Um, so I'm a Marine veteran and a 12-year Army veteran as well. So I did the same thing. I got out of high school, went to the Marine Corps, and then— oh, There we go. Now he's on the mic, guys. Um, went to the Marine Corps, then got out of the Marine Corps, went to Ohio State, graduated from Ohio State. So, you know, my dad was a machinist, so I don't want to have the burden of ha him having to pay for my school. So at the time, the Marine Corps had a— nice, you know, whatever you want to call it, a nice package for, well, the military did in the 80s. They had the, v, the GI Bill. They had veterans assistance. So go in the Marine Corps. I, so, I sense I sent the, I sense a little bit of ethnicity. Greek? Yeah, a little bit. Well, you know, it's Irish, actually. Irish. <laughs> no, um, I'm Greek. I mean, we... Um, well, they're, they're the Greek-Irish. There's, 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 anyway, there's a history there that's interesting, yeah. the, the black Irish. So... You know, my dad, you know, I was born in Greece and came over here when I was young. And so I didn't want to go to college. I saw that some of the my counterparts would go to college and be drunk at Papa Joe's. And so if you'd ever been on campus, we— Ohio State campus you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, Ohio State campus. 
we owned, our family had the Athenian Village dollar euros that is right across the street. From, They've had some of my dollars over the years. Yeah. So, you know, we had seen how they grew up and I was like, ah, I don't know that I'm ready. Um, 18, I was like, you know, my, so I enlisted in Marine Corps 17, um, you know, got into the late en- entry program and then, you know, I graduated uh, June 4th and June 11th, I was in boot camp in Paris Island. Wow. So, and my dad, you know. So what year are we talking? 1984. 84. So you got a few years on me. So my dad, when he signed off, it was, it was the funniest thing ever. My dad, you know, in his, you know, he used a colloquialism, but um, when he signed off at 17, you had to get your parents' permission. So my dad said, I, I need you to make two promises. One, I don't want you to get any tattoos like those damn street urchins, which is a, you know, and number two, I don't want you to get dead. So no so tattoos and don't, don't die. Do I mean, look, I mean, I can understand the order of that at least. <laughs> I'd prefer. And I was like. You would think that maybe the don't get dead first. Well, you know, it was the tattoos. You know, that was yeah. more. And so, you know, my dad grew up in an era, so I joined the Marine Corps. Um, you know, I, and in 87, 88, I was, I was good enough to wrestle for the Marine Corps. I was on the All-Marine mm-hmm. wrestling team. And that is what got me to Ohio State. And so you you grew up in Central Ohio, Columbus. Yeah, I went I went to school in, at Westland. Okay. Oh, okay. And you know, it was you know just a little. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. It's just a little school out in Galloway. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Mixed. You know, it was a mixed uh, background. Most of it was you know farm kids. Used to work at Darby Dan Farms, uh, Hoffman Farms out there. So, and got out. Uh, stayed in the reserves. Um, stayed in the National Guard. And served until 2000, and so I had a chance to do some really wonderful things to wrestle for the Army in 1997. So I had a very you know decent career. Just got hurt and just couldn't keep going. So why'd you choose the Marines? Greg Gibson. Um, Greg Gibson was the it was I wrestled. So Greg Gibson was by far probably the most decorated um, Marine wrestler. Got a chance to go see him wrestle. You know, they had to, you know, they had the, 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 I don't know if you remember Toledo, they had the World Cup and they used to have this wrestling tournament. So we go up there um, and I see Greg Gibson and he is just a monster, 220 pounds. And he wrestled 220, he was 1984 silver medalist, but I got to see him, you know, before. In the Olympics. Yeah, in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was 1981 world champion in Sambo. and, you know, he was just a, you know, national champion. And he, I go up there, get the chance to see him wrestle. And the Marine Corps had his wrestling program. I'm like, you know, I, that's what I want to do. So eventually that's what I did in 1988. I represented the, the Marine Corps at the Olympic trials. So I had a pretty good run. And at the Army at the time, I just, you know, they didn't have some of the things that I was looking for. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it, it, and looking back, I should have went in the Air Force. But, you know, <laughs> it, you know, it, you know, I had wanted to do some things and, you know, and you got to remember 1984, Reagan was in office. The economy was actually very good. It was so people were having a harder time getting people to go into military. We hadn't fought a war. Yeah, there was a comeback, you know, the, yeah. the, the yeah. terrible 70s yeah. were sort yeah. of, uh, we had turned the corner from that and he was in starting his second term. And Grenada and, you know, we had just left Lebanon. We had just, you know... They had Grenada was over when I enlisted. So it it really, I was like, yeah, whatever. Michael Jackson's Thriller, uh, Van <laughs> yeah. Halen's 1984 came out. Uh, 
it, it was an interesting time. It well, was. we were the George- Rambo. Had Rambo come out yet? I think yeah. Rambo had just come out then too. Yeah. Or first Rambo blood, had first blood. For, and Rambo was, and we were the George Orwell class. You know, and oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was oh, a yeah. very interesting time because you know we, when you're in school, you're sitting there thinking about stuff, and also Ohio, you know, there wasn't this pressure to go to school to get a degree like there was, you know, like about in, five, six years later, back yeah. in the Clinton era, it really, yeah. they really put the foot on the gas pedal for yeah. that. So my dad, you know, says, well, if you don't know what you're doing, you know, I don't want you to, you know, to do stupid stuff. And then our family had bars and, you know, we're, our family had the, the Brown Derby. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. You know, oh, I know the Brown yeah. Derby. Yeah. yeah. And then Coventry Steakhouse. And my uncle is Sparrow Fontas who had 16 East, had the Coventry Steakhouse, had, you know, a bunch of restaurants. And I'm like, I don't know. I know I don't want to go that way, you know, because mm-hmm. so, I will rob old ladies at ATMs before I work at the restaurant business again. I mean, that that, that is just. That's um, a lifestyle, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's a lifestyle. And so I thought the Marine Corps would be the best way to go. And it was, it was a good decision. And I got to tell you something, which made my decision even better. And consider this is Black History Month. I got to tell you about a guy by the name of Lloyd Keezer. Lloyd Keezer was our assistant. He was our coach um, and helped out with the team. Lloyd Keezer is the first African-American medalist in the United States. Um, he was the United States Marine Corps captain. So in 1976, uh, he wrestles at the Montreal Olympics, wins the silver. So his roommate was my coach at Ohio State, Russ Hellickson. So I go to, uh, I go to his name is Butch Keezer, you know, Lloyd Butch Keezer is what his, um, he goes by. And he goes, I said, hey, I have an, op- I have an option to go wrestle at Ohio State. Russ, you know, has reached out to me and said, hey, we, you know, we'd like to have an upper weight. Would you come wrestle at Ohio State? Or I could have stayed in the Marine Corps and wrestled. And Butch said, hey, Russ is a great guy. One of the best human beings ever. You will not regret it. And he said, you know, if you want to go to school and get and wrestle, um, you know, you will never replace that experience. You'll, and plus, you'll have a degree. So, yeah. um, 1988, I got a scholarship here, and you know that that kind of turned things. The, you know, to come to Columbus. Plus, I I, I like being home. Yeah. yeah, I like Columbus. I mean, it's Columbus is a great place to live. I mean, it's a, there's been some changes in the last couple of years. I'm not too happy with in Columbus, just seeing what's going on. But generally, it's it's like we seem to be generally immune from all the horrible stuff that happens around the country. You know, it's like if it hits the country hard, it doesn't hit Columbus as hard. If uh, you know, but at the up times are always up. The down times never seem to be quite as down. And I, maybe it's because the government's here. You got the university here. Believe it or not, there's a lot of corporate entities here. Wendy's fast food capital of the world, really. Yeah. I think more fast food chains started here in Columbus. And now Intel, which who knows yeah, what that's going to like. Who knows? But yeah, you know, you can. Norm's not here to bitch about it. <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> but but. Uh, so in 1988, you come into you come into Ohio State. What's interesting to me is I look. We I didn't do. I usually do a World War II history fact of the day, which maybe maybe there's a good segue into it. But uh, there is a. I I read a book by I think it was Stephen Ambrose who sort of pointed this out. All the veterans who came back in, say, 44, 45, and were going to go to college, uh, they came in, and uh, that was back in the days, I guess, that there was hazing going on. So if you're a first-year freshman, you wear the beanie, and they sort of make fun of you or whatever. And these veterans are like, no effing way. Like, you guys had – like, they had – like, the rest of us had zero understanding by, say, us civilians – particularly the 18, 19, 20-year-olds had zero understanding what these guys had been, these men had been through at this point. You know, we're talking like Anzio, which was happening right now in 
three, I think. Um, you're talking about Stalingrad, or not Stalingrad, but uh, we talked about um, oh, not Anzio, or the Battle of the Bulge. Yeah, and, you know, it's like go. these guys had come fresh off that stuff, and they go into college and they're going to get hazed by a bunch of geeks. You know, it's like so, so. How did it feel coming back and looking at these younger kids? I, I got to tell you this: the, the so fall of '88, I start, you know, I I start wrestling, and so we have a, a, a gentleman by the name of John Macko, who's our academic advisor, yep. and he just re- recently retired. One of the greatest guys ever. So there was a rule that they had to have freshmen ha- had to go to study table. Now, mind you, it, I had just got out of the Marine Corps in, in, in you know that summer. I go to study table, and I, it looks like I'm walking into Miss Barbara's, uh, you know. Uh, Grade school class or something. Grade yeah. school, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, like Romper Room, Miss Barbara's from Romper Room. Oh, yeah, So yeah. I oh, go yeah. in there. Took me a second. Good job. Yeah. yeah. Great okay. reference. Okay, sure. And, and so I walk in there, and, you know, I have a, you know, I have, like, a slight, you know, three-day beard, and I'm looking at somebody, and I mean, they're kids. Yeah. And I- and zero life experience. Zero life experience. And I'm like, oh, you are, I am not doing this. <laughs> I and, and, and so I went there for a week, and I said- and I went to John, and I said, and I went, and I argued with, you know, argue with Jim Jordan at the time because he was our assistant. And he was, you know, running, you know, part of the academic part. And I said, I am not showing up to study table. I'll kill one of these kids. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, because right, you're fresh off four years in the military, four years in the Marines, no less, right? Yeah, and, and so I look at them and I'm like, and I said, no, I am not doing this. By my senior year, I was the oldest student athlete at Ohio State. I was twenty, you know, I was uh, twenty six years old. I, you know, twenty turned twenty seven in March. I used to walk into classes, and you know, like we'd go to Hitchcock or Campbell or some of the, you know, where they'd have, you know, the incoming. They thought I was the TA. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd walk into class, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm just. Can you imagine like showing up at a wrestling meet and you've got this guy on the other side of you? It's like he's twenty five years old. Exactly. He's ready to rock your world fresh out of the Marines. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a certain strength, I, I would presume, and I'll let you comment on this, George, but I, w- I would think there's a certain strength that you get from experiencing things like uh, hard things, like what are the, it's the Marines, and then you couple that with like the bonding and the brotherhood and everything that goes with it. You sort of have a different viewpoint on life. And anybody who's ever been th- through something tough, even if it's like two-a-days in football, when you get through that, you feel better. And I imagine that's like what you went through is like 50 or 100 times that. And you just have a certain outlook on the world that gives you a little bit more uh, presence, strength, mental and physical. You're you're comfortable with being uncomfortable. That that you know that's the whole thing. What a great what a great way to put it. And and that's that that's the one thing. And, and I look at uh, you know some of the experiences we had in the fleet. And I you know one of the things I'll give you a prime example. We were in Lancelin, Australia, doing a, what's called a CACS, a combined arms exercise with the Australian Army. It rained. It rained sideways. It rained forward. It rained backwards. And Australia rain is not like any other rain. But we're in the field at that point for like seven days, and it just rained the whole time. And we were just miserable. But you looking back, we had some of the greatest times out there because we had fire missions, and we were able to do some really cool stuff. You you become used to being uncomfortable. And so, you know, when when you look at things like, you know, the, I see people get upset because they go to Starbucks and the guy in front of you is like, my latte did not come out at 138 degrees with light foam. Yeah, and you're looking at him like. Yeah. And I'm like looking at him, it's like, I had people that were trying to kill me that were pretty trained at it, and they didn't. And the worst thing I have to worry about is getting a latte. Nah, I'm good. 
It's like uh, the Band of Brothers. This was in a book, and I think it made the series too, where there's this these guys getting interviewed about being cold nowadays, and they just keep saying, "Well, at least it's not best own." You know, it's not. <laughs> it's like I've been through hell, and this is not it. You know. So we got a chance. I so when I was in the Marine Corps, we got a chance to go to Iwo Jima, um, and go to Mount Suribachi, and you take a look, and then you take. Now, a look. Is that is that like the Holy Grail in the Marines? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. It's the Holy Grail of Holy Grails, and. So at Iwo Jima, there's a thing is, you know, uh, uncommon valor was a common virtue. And you don't realize what it looks like until you actually get there. And the beach that they landed on, there was, it was like a thousand people getting into, you know, the courtyard outside. It was like, it was bodies on top of bodies. And they had, you know, they threw them at the Japanese. And the Japanese had these tunnels that they had built all over the tu- all over the island. So guys had to, every time you shot one, another guy would pop up because they would pull in the bodies. And one of the things that the, the Marine did not know, the Marines at Iwo Jima did not know is the Japanese were very good at, at extracting the bodies when they were dead. So you didn't know whether there was a hundred guys in, in, in this pit or you know, two hundred, but almost demoralizing, right? Mm-hmm. You th- you're not, you don't feel like you're making any headway. Yeah, and they and they did the same thing in in Korea when they you know in, in the Korean War, but they pulled them out. So they they would have these guys that would go into tunnels and there were three man teams, and they would chase down the Japanese. And so you look at this and you you think about how many people were killed at Iwo Jima, and then you see Suribachi, you know, which the the picture of the that they have at uh, where Ira Hayes and all them, you know, plant the flag. That was a staged flag. That was, yeah. that was staged. Interesting story behind that picture, but we yeah. won't go into it. But it, it, it's still representative of something significant. Right. Right. And so 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines was there, and they lost a lot of men. And one of the guys that were was awarded the Silver Star um, started, he, he started with 156 men in his company. When it was done, they were on on the on the 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 boat coming out of there. He said 19, uh, 19 men all present accounted for. He had lost a hundred and forty men out of his company, yeah. and and there was nineteen left. And then you look at it and you go, the um, the um, the Marines that were there, um, they really killed a lot of people. And and so when you you start looking at that, you're like, well, yeah, there's a a lot of history that goes behind it, but it's also how they fought. They fought on top of each other. So the guy that you that you're going in combat with, you're shoulder to shoulder. You know, you're not you know 500 feet away. I mean, you're shoulder to shoulder. So you know, you you're fighting with your buddy. You're fighting with the guy next to you, and it's it's pretty close. And so even today, when you you know you think about it. I still have, um, I want to describe something. They're called Three O'Clock Friends. You have, you know, the, there's a podcast that just came out. They were talking about Three O'Clock Friends that, who who would you call at Three O'Clock in the morning? I call my, I, I could call half my platoon and they will show up at Three O'Clock in the morning. Most people don't have that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about it, how many friends do you have that will show up at Three O'Clock in the morning to move a body? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. You're a lawyer. I, I'm sorry. That that's. Uh, well, I'm the guy they call to move the couch. Yeah, to move the couch. Yeah, to move the couch. To clean the carpet. Right. Right. Yeah. I can either <laughs> confirm nor deny that I can. <laughs> yeah. And so, 
you're in battle with these guys, and then so there's nothing that bonds you closer than you know a combat or serving together, or the, the or the fact that you have to trust this person with your life. Yeah, and so that's one of the the reasons why the Marine Corps is a cult. You know, and and is it, that true more so? You think yes. than like the Army or the Navy yeah. or the Air Force? Yeah, because nobody says I grew. I almost joined the Navy. I mean, you know, anybody says well, I almost joined the Marine Corps, and the Marine Corps is a cult because it's the smallest service. It's hundred, usually, with exception of a couple times, it's, it averages about one hundred eighty thousand men or and women. Yep. So there's fewer Marines. Uh, Paris Island graduates 7,000 recruits a year. Uh, San Diego recruits about the same. And then you have Quantico that graduates the Marine officers. So there's not that many Marines coming in every year. And, and I still see this happening. You know, guys that say I'm a friend with somebody who's a former Marine and then he encounters, I introduce him to somebody else or he just meets somebody else I'm around. They just look at each other and say Semper Fi. Or what, you yeah. know, th- like there's a brotherhood that exists and they don't even know each other. Yeah, th- it, it is. It's, it's a brotherhood that, and the Marine Corps instills that. Because one of the things that they, you know, the, the Marine Corps is different because when you go to, to, to boot camp um, and they've had this discussion, why Marines different, they work on you being a Marine first, then doing everything else. Where the Army, if you go to boot camp, they start teaching you how to shoot, how to march, how to do certain things. And there's not the same camaraderie, you know, there's not the same bond. In the Marine Corps, the first thing is you're going to be a Marine. And when they were talking about bonuses, uh, you know, and, and getting people to recruit, right now the only service that is not – the Marine Corps is filling their recruitment tool because the assistant commandant said, you know what your bonus is for joining the Marine Corps? You get to get oh, claim the title of being a Marine. Well, isn't that, mm-hmm. that's an, isn't that an interesting psychological – uh, metaphor you know it's like you can promise people trinkets you can promise people whatever but maybe the human soul is really looking for some sort of connection instead you know it's like the, the external crap that is promised isn't as significant to people maybe even uh, subconsciously as like this notion i'm going to be part of something bigger than me and and think about that i mean you look at the fraternities on college i mean you know and i'm not and i'm not comparing the two but look at the guys that are in sigma chi well isn't it but didn't fraternities in large part were, were military like they were sort of mimicking yep. that experience create a brotherhood create uh this bond you know and I, obviously it's not the same but but it is a parallel but you you know you have the you know the omega sci-fis you have the kappas and and they they come you know they're they come together and it, it is a it, you know it's a connection and it's a common bond and one of the things that the the marine corps strives to do and sometimes they're good at it and sometimes they're not but it's you know the training is the same regardless of where you go. Yeah, where where the army um, is not necessarily the same. You have what's called one station unit training. So if you're a tanker, you go to a boot camp at Fort Knox, and you stay from boot camp all the way through yep. to you know your A school. In the Marine Corps, you graduate boot camp, then you go to Marine Corps combat training, and then you go to uh, then you go to your MOS school. So you're trained to be a combat Marine, you know, a combat Marine first, then your job is second. One of the other things is there's no, it, I've ran into general officers and they don't care. They, you call them Marine. It, you know, you're not, you know, fine. You might, you know, they might be a general, but you said, you know, you, they, it's a title. So uh, the general, the commandant of the Marine Corps doesn't care that you call them a Marine. 
where yeah. you call a general in the army uh, a soldier, they you don't know what their response is going to be. And isn't oh. the Marines a little bit? I, I I I don't know why I've heard. I, maybe I I could be wrong. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, my understanding of the Marines is like, and maybe it's dovetailing with what you're saying. It's like you have this. Everybody learns how to do be a Marine first, and then isn't there in the sort of the the goal to teach people all up and down the vertical ladder? Like you can do the next guy's job, and the next guy can do your job. And, yep. and, and mm. I don't think the other services are like that. No, necessarily. And, and that's one of the reasons why the retention levels in combat from the Marine Corps are the highest ever. So if you're more people reenlist in combat with the Marine Corps than at garrison. Well, that makes sense. If you have 180,000 Marines, they have to be interchangeable. Yeah. Well, you, right. you have to know each other's job. And, and yeah. doesn't because it just make perfect sense? Though? It's like it, if you're going to have an yeah. efficient fighting force, yeah. like we do that, I do that at my office. Right. I, I make a, like, I'm a, I'm the, the lawyer, but I know how to do this guy's job, the, mm-hmm. the, all the people's jobs. You know, I can run the, uh, the building, I can manage that. Or if I needed to, I can do some of the clerical. It's like you have to, that's the only way to be efficient in, if you lost somebody. Right. Well, you take a look, I, I'll give you a prime example. Um, you're familiar with Baker and Hosteller, right? Yep. So a law firm. Yeah, the yeah. law firm. It's a national um, law firm. Right? So one of my one of my dear friends is a guy by the name of Mike Coleman who went to the Naval Academy. They lost one of the guys that they one of the guys that they lost was their filing lawyer, the guy that filed the briefs, and he knew everything. Now, he had an ankle monitor on him that if he ever came close to a, a courtroom, they would tackle him and, made, <laughs> right, you know, drag. You're not allowed to argue in court. <laughs> You're yeah. not allowed to argue. <laughs> but he filed, you know, for law, you know, for lawsuits and class actions. He would file the briefs. He left. It took them almost nine months to replace him. Nine, yeah. nine months because this guy knew everything. He knew um, that, you know, if you – one of the – just to give you, you know, a little simple thing, uh, when you filed an appeal, you cannot file it both sides. They had to be on one side of paper. Sure, yeah. And and something as simple as that, you know, in, in the Marine Corps, they teach you, you know, now obviously you can't take a grunt and make him a pilot, but if a pilot gets on the ground, he knows he actually. Well, that's what I mean. You learn to be a Marine first. You can yeah. fight first. You can, yeah. be, you can be in this brotherhood first. Well, it's interesting. There's... Hmm. um. How much there's a there's a perception that I have that of inefficiency and what inefficiency is like if 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 you can only do your job and you're not trained to figure out somebody to figure out how to do his job or, or do his job particularly but I think more importantly what I'm saying is figure it out you know there there's this idea that we have to be able to solve problems if we're going to function in the world and this is this is lawyer training people's like what's it like to be a lawyer well. I don't know the law, but I know how to learn it, and I can go figure it out. And now I figure after I've gone to law school, I can figure out almost anything. And, and as my dad used to say, look, as a lawyer, you can do almost everything that any other profession can do. Not as well, of course, but you can do it. But they can't do what you do because we've sort of gotten this education to learn how to to, to solve problems. And it, you know, it seems to me that if you're going to create a fighting force that has that instilled, like I can do, like I can figure out your job because I've got a little bit of training on it, sort of the all-rounder back in the, the Greek Olympics. That was like celebrated. Um, and, and it doesn't, I don't feel that way instinctively with the other branches of the service. And, they are, and they're not. I mean, you know, the Air Force is, you know, the Air Force is a, a, a critical branch because they have nuclear weapons. 
They have pilots, and their mission is to keep birds in the in the in the air. That's that's their mission. So uh, you have the pilots, and then everything else. So and they're, they're you know they're not a they're not mission oriented. They're where you know they they're constantly doing something, but it's to support the pilots. So either you're a pilot or you're not, and you know basically we we call you know the the Marine Corps refers to them as CrossFit with nukes. So. and so you know the army is you know it's in the same way the army does you know they they teach you your job and then if you leave your job it's going to be harder for you to integrate uh, you know do a lateral transfer um the other thing is that the army also has the the largest they're the largest logistical force on the planet the u.s army is Uh, you know if you think about the uh the army corps of engineers um, the, um, I can't remember the exact, I think it's the 337th, uh, logistic command down in, um, in New Orleans, they, um, if they have a FEMA event, the, the, their job is to bring in logistics, to bring in, um, the, everything that they need. So that's handled by them, the DLA, the defense logistics agency, um, that's most of it is army moved. So. Their job is, especially is, is, yes, you need to accomplish a mission. Do they have war fighters? Yes. I mean, they have some of the greatest, you know, 75th Ranger Battalion, um, you know, 101st, 82nd. They have I mean, the, the classics, you know, you know, the classics, uh, you know, they have special forces um, and they have some great tier one units and they are great war fighters, but it, they're, they don't have as many combat troops compared to the support troops. So that's, um, you know, the, the Marine Corps has a higher percentage of combat troops as support as, as comparison to their, their support troops. Gotcha. Well, look, we, I'd love to sit here and I could talk about this stuff all day, but we, we, I do want to, I do want to cover some stuff about what you're doing now because you have this vet radio syndicate. Yeah. Um, obviously you're a vet, that's what we've been talking about, but tell, tell us about that, how you got into it and what it's all about. So, Vet Radio Syndicate started in, uh, we started out as Warfighter Radio, and it started in 2016. And one of the things that, that happened is veterans didn't have a, a voice online. So we, when we first started, we had um, um, the, the guy that started it, um, started bringing vets on air to tell their message. Um, we used to broadcast on, you know, not on Facebook, but we, we broadcast on, uh, we use Spreaker, we use OBX and we use, um, and then we had weekly shows and we had about, uh, one time we had about 30 hosts, but basically what we did was help veterans start a podcast or, you know, get, start a show, get their message out. And also number two, which is kind of more important is to get veterans connected with groups that they needed. So, um, we would, you know, we, um, we had 22 to none mission 22. If we had a veteran crisis, we had uh, support teams that would reach out to them and help them out. Um, we had, and we still do, I mean, we still do. I mean, but basically is we want to get veterans. If, if there's something that's going on with a veteran, we want to get them help. Um, because there, a lot of them are falling through the cracks. So what we basically built is a platform to get veterans online to tell their story, uh, to tell, you know, what's going on. 
and also to have you know some lighthearted comedy uh, that is uh, you know entertainment because sometimes you know just being able to get on the air and make fun of you know anything right anything yeah. um, you know and it's uh, what a, what a fascinating I mean it, it sort of just it just clicked on me what you're doing you, you create a platform and it's not like there's one show that you know you've got a certain direction and a, and a cause and a message that you're that you're uh, putting out there but you open it up to all veterans to be able to have a voice and 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 talk about whatever they want to talk about but it's like this subtle goal next to that is those who need that kind of camaraderie com- camaraderie or connection can get it and then right. those who need help then have like a structure in place with others who are already there to get the help they need. So it's it's like it's almost I don't want to say one's primary and one's secondary, but those goals it seems like are working hand in glove. Yeah, and we so one of the groups we deal with is 22 till 9. And one of the things that happens is the VA has some help. And, and but sometimes in certain places they lack support systems. So for example, um, I, I'll give you an example of something we do. We help f- uh, female veterans that are in crisis. So that are, that, you know, and one of the things that, that happens if they're, uh, they're under, if they had to deal with domestic violence, we have uh, ways of getting them out of that situation, putting them up in a safe harbor. And so that's one of the things that we do. We have um, a program where we buy groceries for veterans that just need, you know, that are or, or short on, um, you know, short on funds. Um, sometimes, you know, they, um, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, we have, even if, if you're a hundred percent disabled from the VA, sometimes, you know, and you have, you know, you're missing a leg or, or something like that. They're not as supportive as you think they are. So you have to come out of pocket. And, and so sometimes they run, you know, they need their gas bill paid or they need some groceries or they need their, you know, you know, something paid. We have 22 Toll None deals with that. That's one of the groups that we partner with. Um, we have other groups like Irreverent Warriors um, that we deal with that they they have marches. They, you know, they, they go have a march, uh, you know, 5K walk, uh, but it gets a bunch of veterans together. We have another group that uh, they have a race team. They go out and, uh, you know, they go watch the races. Um, we have a group that does fishing and goes outdoors. And so we get veterans to, you know, to get into that, to go out and fish. So the reason for that is that they're work, they're dealing with other veterans, which helps because veterans speak their own language. And that's, that is the first thing. Number two is that if they need to talk, they have a mechanism there where they're around other people that they can talk about. And one of the things that happens at that point is they, if they're able to talk about what's going on, it seems to calm them down because then what, you know, the, the guy next to you is saying, Hey, listen, I've been through that. You know, it's like the old thing the, well, you just, you know, the guy in the hole that drops a quarter in the hole, the guy throws a 20 down there and he says, you know, well now we're both stuck. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, but I know the way out. Yeah. And, and so when you have something like that, people have a tendency to go, okay, they'll open up to a veteran. Um, and, one of the, the things that the VA has done and it's helped is roundtable therapy. And that, it, you know, where you get, you know, 10, 15 guys in a room, you know, females also. I mean, it's not, 
and they just say, hey, listen, what's going on? Not all veterans, you know, work with that. Sometimes you need a one-on-one. Sometimes you just need to, you know, um, I had I had a battle in distress. We, we call them battle in distress. Um, a few years ago, I had to literally every three days a week, I had to go uh, friend to deal with this, you know, um, this veteran. And he was really the, one of the worst cases I've ever seen until we got him some help. But three times a week, I would take him Amy's Donuts and we would just have a cup of coffee and on you know and sit on the couch and you know and it would just be you know an hour of sometimes we didn't even talk but the fact that he had somebody there that was supportive and you know and and that he could trust right because he feels like look we we've got some connection here that goes back that sort of transcends everybody else like i i can i can trust this guy it's 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 an interesting thought. I mean, look, it's it's not complicated psychology. If you're going to go punish somebody in prison, what do you do? You put them in solitary confinement. And if you if you take that sort of model and you say, look, how do we make a veteran miserable in his own experiences? Well, give him nobody to talk to and yeah. make him just sit there and act like nothing's wrong. And you know, it's like it, it, when those secrets are still within you, then they eat you alive. As soon as you tell somebody, it, it, it's like it sort of goes away. You know, it, it sort of like relieves the pressure. And you know, I don't mean to, I don't presume to understand the psychology of what these guys go through but i think that's sort of what you're getting at you give these guys an organic way right to interact with others and what we have found at this table we call it the round table what we have found here is that we all feel better when we sit and talk like this about anything it, it, it doesn't have to be what we're sad about anything we always feel better so there's a, a study that came out in about you know the, the what you're talking about the round table um, people that engage in this kind of conversation to get mental help and get you get therapy have a, about a sixty percent success rate. Add one more, add one more to it. Whatever you you know, add one more therapy measure, whatever it is, they get to about ninety percent. Wow, and 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 it's probably true. I'm saying probably because I don't presume to know again, but it's probably true that to get that one more therapy measure, you almost have to start like this. Yeah. Because then nobody's going to just jump to that. It's it's got to be like this movement, like oh you're doing that too. Okay, I can I can I feel a little more comfortable doing this. So I'll go to do this. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you've got that one more thing, whatever it is. It, whatever it is, and and they you know from cognitive, uh, in, you know from cognitive therapy to a, any of the any of the therapy measures that are you know accepted by you know L, you know LSWs, MSSWs, whatever that is. If you get any individual two therapy measures they have about a 90% success rate and that's what we we try to focus on so there's different programs that um, one of the things we we worked on is we tell veterans about veteran stand down um, they had it at the convention center uh, so veteran stand down is uh, that they have every government agency that has care for veterans um, the the hardest thing about veterans right now is of all they there's more alcoholism than any other um, whatever I don't know whatever you want to call it uh, any other drug, drug there's more people addicted to alcohol I, look in my in my line of work representing people charged with crimes if you got rid of alcohol and did not replace it with something similar you would eliminate most crime and so they have um, Mount Carmel and wasn't familiar with this but Mount Carmel has a um, a program for veterans uh, for alcohol. Ohio State has a, a program for veterans that have been hurt in, co- you know, not just in combat, but in, you know, they've been hurt. They have a a 
basically a wounded veteran care. So all of those groups came together um, and they have these things called veteran stand down. Well, a lot of the veterans that showed up did not know that. That, you know, because a lot of the times they're one of the things is everybody wants to help vets. That's great. But where do you start? Mm-hmm. And so Franklin County has does a great job. I've met with Mayor Ginther and his staff and, you know, they hire veterans. Um, you know, they they get help for veterans and they get, you know, the, they get mental help for veterans. And sometimes just sitting down with a group of veterans and just bitching helps out tremendously. Um, then they have next level care where if you need, you know, some, you know, chemical therapy, you know, you need to get on uh, whatever the, you know, antidepressants or something, they will give you that. Um, so does the VA, but well, hold on. You just brought up VA hmm. for the first time. Like we, I, mean, I think one, one other time you mentioned VA, but all this stuff you've talked about, you got the vet radio syndicate that sort of brings people together and helps people sort of make that, take that first step into the first discussion. And then maybe the second discussion and then all at the same time, it's providing content for veterans on the radio. Um, where does the VA fit into that? That's all outside VA, right? You're not doing that. Right. The, the VA has not sponsored you. And, and No, they have not. And, and the, the problem, one of the problems with the VA has been, and I'll give you something you, you might have not thought. 1990, there was 31,685,000 veterans. That okay, 1990. All right. 1990. As of this year, as of 2024, we are down to 16,970,000 veterans. We have lost almost 14 million veterans have died in the, since 1990. The veteran population is getting older. Um, you know, we're going to see in our lifetime, we're, we're going to see the last World War II veteran die. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the problems has been is that the VA, as veterans have aged, they have to give better care to those veterans. Uh, number two, right? So now they're de- they're dealing with things like hearing loss and things like uh, yeah. you know the physical th- stuff, like we're doing with the society following the boomers kind of feel. Yeah, but very yeah. similar. Yeah, that's yeah. a great, a good parallel. Yeah. Kind of. And so in World War II, it was it was eleven point two percent of the population served was under arms. Everybody served. You know yeah. every and so in one way of of another, uh, you know. I'll give you a prime example. The greatest ball player, the greatest baseball player of all time, Ted Williams, uh-huh. um, served, you know, he was a Marine, um, served in World War II, served in Korea. Um, he was John Glenn's wingman. Um, and one of the best stories ever. Um, they were out on a mission, and Ted Williams has 2016 vision, and he goes to John Glenn, hey, there's two MIGs at, you know, at three o'clock. John Glenn goes, I don't see them. He goes, they're there, you know, and he, they, you know, they turn and engage them. And, you know, John Glenn finally sees them. And he says, he says, when I had Ted Williams with me, I, I, he says, I was not scared of anything because no one was going to sneak up on us. He had 2016 vision. 2016. No wonder. I mean, he was an incredible hitter. So it's like, I wonder, you you wonder how that correlates. Yeah. Anyway, that's a dive we don't need to take. And so he, so when they, when you talk about Joe DiMaggio served. You know, everybody served during World War II. Uh, mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan served. Um, you know, every president we had from 19, uh, from Eisenhower on, I mean, well, no, from Harry S. Truman to Bill Clinton was in the military. Every single one of them were World War II vets. The, the, Bill Clinton was the first non-veteran to hold, be in the White House um, in, since FDR. 
Interesting. I never thought of it that way. Interesting. That's, well, yeah. I mean, wow. you, you, you want, you know, you go down. Eisenhower was a World War II vet with the Army. JFK was with the Navy. Uh, Richard Nixon was with the Navy. Uh, LBJ was with the Navy. Uh, Jimmy Carter was with the Navy. Uh, Ford? Ronald uh, Ford was, uh, I think, he was in the Army or the Navy. Um, then you had um, Reagan, which was with the Army Air Corps. Um, and then you had Bush, which was who was a fighter pilot. Yeah. Yeah. And World and, War II. And so he, the first non-veteran that we had in the White House was Bill Clinton for a long time. It's an interesting... Hmm. He was the first there, baby there, boomer. There's some conclusions we could probably draw from that that... I, I won't. I got. I got to give that some thought. But that, that's an mm-hmm. that's an interesting uh, factoid. Mm-hmm. So look, the the VA is is sort of doing its thing, and you're doing your thing. I mean, is there ever any interaction? Yeah, we 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 interact with the VA, and there are some things that the VA has done better. One of the reasons the the VA is really good at at, at, at providing health care. Um the the problem is, and, and this is something that we've that I've seen, and we, our our group has seen is they're not good at telling what's available. So they're, you know, if you go show up at the VA and you're hurt, you broke your arm, they will treat you. You're a veteran, they will treat you. Um, you know, if you have, uh, you know, if you show up and you, you know, you have, uh, you need whatever you need healthcare wise, they will treat you. They have some programs though that most veterans aren't aware of and they don't tell you that. So unless you have what's called a VSO, a veteran service officer, they they don't tell you that hey, this program is available. So one of the things that it's it's kind of hard to explain, but you can be, have a disability rating and not be treated at the VA, and you can be treated at the VA without having a disability rating. So one of the things that happens is that there's you know there's guys out there that just need you know, um, blood pressure pills. Well, you can go to the VA and they'll give them to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so. Th- That's th- funny. My dad did that for the first, like he's never gone to the VA his entire life. And that, now he's uh, 90 or almost 90. And he's like, and somehow he connected with the VA for hearing loss mm-hmm. from being in the Air Force. Yeah. And uh, like he could have gone there for everything. I mean, he was worried about his own health care. He's worried, like he's always bought his own stuff. He never mm-hmm. really thought yeah. about it. And and so those programs are always available. But it's, it's a problem is that, uh, you know, let's say, you're not in a major metropolitan area. So Columbus has one of the best VAs out there. They sent him to Toledo, I think, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and if Which you. doesn't make much sense, but that's what they do. Well, and if you have a heart problem, they're going to send you to Cleveland and the Cleveland Clinic, and they're going to get you treated there. Mm-hmm. So the VA has great programs. A lot of veterans don't know about that. Well, let me ask you a different yeah. question, though. I, and I'll tell you a story, and then I'll, ask your, and then I'll ask the question. I had a client who was accused of drunk driving, and it was his second offense. He was a Marine Corps veteran. Um, and the judge, I'm not going to say the jurisdiction, it was not Columbus, um, wanted me to have this client evaluated and look for alcohol substance abuse type treatment. And the judge was sort of pushing me to have him uh, go to the VA and do that. I mentioned that to my client and I got some eye rolling and like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I, you know, not because he didn't want to do the evaluation, but because he didn't trust it necessarily. He thought, what a pain in the ass this is going to be. I don't want to go mess with that. He goes, do you have anybody else I can use a private guy? And I do. I mean, I got a guy, you give him a, you know, it's a text away and you've, you're, he's working with you. Um, so what is the, is there, is there a, what's the, what's the perception of veterans for services that the VA provides? I guess that's yeah. what I'm asking in a long winded way. It depends on the area. Columbus has, again, I, I'm speaking for Columbus, 
they have a great VA. Philadelphia, not as much. Um, it had one of the problems that happened is a, one of the veterans in v- Philadelphia killed himself in the parking lot. Phoenix had a, a, a huge problem. So depending on the area that you were, were in, it de- depended on the level of care. So each state is different. Now, you, you know, you would think that the VA across every, every system would be the same and it's not. Uh, so if you go back to, you have to take a look at the level of healthcare that the state provides because, you know, the part of the VA funding comes from state Medicaid. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that come, so. Okay, so it's tied to, it's tied to funding in to, in yeah. to some degree. And then, and so now the, the VA, you know, in the, in the last 10 years, especially has done a better job because, you know, we have too many veterans that have, you know, killed themselves, committed suicide. And they said, you know, we can't get help. Well, now, you know, they, they've done that. So one of the things that they've done at the, the VA here, and they've done it in other places, um, like I'll give you an example. They've done it in Atlanta. They have what's called intake care. So if you're at risk and you need help, they will bring you in. They, you know, they will get you, you know, um, it, it's like, you know, if you're having a mental breakdown, they'll get you in and bring you in there and keep you there. Mm. Um, and that, and it works. Charlotte is the same way. Charlotte has very good care. Toledo has very good care. So it depends on the area, and it also depends on what you need exactly. But some VAs are overloaded because, you know, we have Dallas has a good VA system, but you have a lot of veterans that are in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have um, Oklahoma City has a lot, you know, there's a lot of veterans that they care. So in places where you have a lot of veterans, you're always going to have a lot of, you know, you're, you're going to be overwhelmed and they do the best that they can. Um, you know, the Bronx has a VA hospital and they're, they're doing very good. But in some places, because, you know, anytime you're, you know, you have a bureaucracy, you're going to have issues. So veterans are like, you know, um, I'd rather not go. And, you know, the, the, the problem then happens is, one veteran tells another veteran, tells another veteran, tells another veteran, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have that, you know, you have that groundswell. So one of the things that we've done at at VRS is that we've tried to get people into certain programs. Vet Radio Syndicate, VRS. Yeah, vet, vet, you know, vet, radio, vet Radio. We try to get people say, hey, listen, you're, if you are having frontal lobe dysplasia, you're having a TBI, let's get you to some care that we that we can get you for that and you can maybe sort of like you call it a groundswell which is really like this it, it becomes um you know the negative attitude just sort of becomes addicting or a, a, an epidemic so you can help yeah. break through that and say look yeah no no we trust us we know this they can help you over here or here's what it is and, and maybe ease people into some care so one of the the people that we have on staff or you know as an advisor is we have a doctor at the university of missouri that ha- handles tbis so if we need, if we have a vet, a traumatic brain injury, yeah, just traumatic, yeah. yeah, and those are the worst, those are the worst situations to deal with because yeah, you have frontal lobe dysplasia. They're not, you know, there's 14 different things that happen. We call him and he's, a, a, you know, a doctor there and we go, Hey, I've got this veteran. He's down in Savannah, Georgia. Where do we need to get him to, to get some, some help? Because if if he doesn't get help, a he's going to get worse, but then he becomes you know he might commit suicide or something like that. So he 
um, deals with a lot of, uh, you know, neurological centers. And we have had some really good uh, support with them. One of the things that, you know, that we've also have is there's some other groups that have started uh, dealing with microdosing of mushrooms. And that mm-hmm. has helped a lot of, of you know, they've been proven to give repair. Um, there's a, a program out in Colorado where they take veterans and they give them uh, peyote and they wind up doing the Indian uh, tent ceremony. Yep. And that has helped vet. Hmm. And not every veteran is going to have, you know, there there's different versions of PTSD. You, you can have a shock trauma. You can have attachment trauma. You can have uh, from TBI. You can have from, you know, basically survivor's guilt. So every veteran is different. The, 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 and, you know, people outside of the VA says, oh, all you need is a night out in town and you'll be better. Oh, yeah, we didn't think of that. Right, right, <laughs> you know? right. And, well, yeah, and you saying that, okay, so I need to ask you this. And this has been burning in my mind. I, 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 but you're changing my mind about this a little bit. Is a why can't we get our shit together as, as a country and support our vets? And via VA, or, but I'm also rethinking that now, maybe we better not. Maybe this is better. That what we're setting up here, I know it's it's a trickle effect. You know, trying to reduce those number of vets dying every day, taking their own lives and such. But putting money in the VA may not necessarily be the answer. It's more it, of th- it, what you're doing. And I don't want to take anything away from the VA. And, and I'm not trying to either. No, it, it's, it's throwing money at the government. Well, That's the, what the I. The problem don't. is when the government tries to fix a problem of this broad spectrum. It can't do it. It can't do it, it because for political reasons. It can't do it for financial reasons. It can't do it because it it, it doesn't know how to do it. But, but, we, but, but, but I feel as a country, we're obligated to help these men and women out, though, somehow. But isn't this a parallel to you what's know? going on in the country? It's like before the go- before we looked at the government to take care of everybody, like with its, like with its so- social safety net, the local people did it. People like you, George, yeah. did it. You know, right. people like the lo- the church on a corner would help mm-hmm. take care of the people who were struggling that week to get their groceries, and they did it so much more efficiently than the government could ever do it because they didn't have to employ fifty or a million people down a bureaucracy to get it done. Now the right. VA had. I think what you're saying is the VA has its benefits, but it's it, it needs to be supplemented by what but what you're doing. And and so one of the things I'll give you a, a, a back. In the 1950s, who do you think had the largest job program in the United States? I don't know. When I tell you, you're going to be surprised, the Catholic Church. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the Catholic Church in the 1950s had a job program. that You could go to the, the local diocese, and they would find you a job because guess who was connected to it? The unions. Okay. okay. And, it, okay. and they also okay. had an operated uh, – they operated – kitchens or, you know, whatever, you know, grocery. Yeah. yeah. And part of it, it goes back to is that if you went to the church and, you know, you were getting groceries or help, then what they would do is that, you know, they would say to you, you know, I'm, if I'm bringing you food, I'm keeping you a little bit accountable. But when you're, you know, when you're getting a, an EBT card from the government, um, there's no accountability there. So, you know, yeah. now there's, you, there's, well, I mean, it's like the AA model, right? It's like you, yeah. you don't, uh, you can't just do say I'm in AA and and go into the ether. Like they have local groups that talk mm-hmm. about things, and like mm-hmm. that accountability component that you're talking about, George, makes all the sense in the yeah. world to me. Okay. And yeah. and I've, you're just you're just adding more spice to what I already believe, which is when the government replaced the church. And I'm not talking about religion. I, I'm talking about like the lo- local. I won't support. even say church. I'll say with the local support structure. Mm-hmm. 
is gone because it doesn't, people perceive it doesn't need to be there. And what you are doing is rebuilding that in some way and in, in, right. in helping people find the government resources that are there, but not only helping them find them, helping them know that they need to. Yeah. And so I'll give you an example, you know, not to, you know, in politics, but if you go to Scandinavian countries, they're the least charitable countries out there. And one of the reasons is because they pay a high tax and if they have a problem with something, they expect the government to take care of it. So here, what we, you know, what we say to, you know, to the, the veterans, we need help. Like one of the things we help is gold star mothers or parents, um, you know, and one of the, our spokespeople's uh, lady by the name of Tracy Laporte, she helps gold star moms. I cannot begin to have any input on, on I, I've lost friends in combat and that's great. But a gold star mom is somebody that's lost a child in combat. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. I, you yeah. can't, I can't imagine. Right. Yeah. And so what we do is we have, you know, we have a support system that, you know, Tracy Laporte, is, um, we get people to her because they have a s- support network that says, hey, um, you're going to be dealing with this. Let me get you to a, a parent or um, we have another group. Um, it's called Minus 22 that helps uh, suicide survivors. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how, if they have had a spouse or a family member commit suicide, mm-hmm. they, they help them and they get, because that, that takes a, a different, completely different set of dynamics. So the, the problem we have had is, you know, going with the VA, we went from treating Vietnam veterans and World War II veterans, in, which was what the VA mission had been for the longest time to now having an aging population and having, you know, basically non-linear combat uh, now that you're treating people that, um, you know, 1990 or 1990, you know, um, you know, the war in Desert Storm was the last conventional war the planet ever had. So we will never see anything like that again, ever. So we now are dealing with asymmetrical warfare and you're having different things happen that you have to deal with. So, um, you know, anytime you have a big system like the VA, I mean, it's the third, I got to look this up, but I think it's the third or fourth largest expenditure that our government does. Yeah. And I said, you know, like anything the government does, it has some good and it has some bad and it has some corruption and it has some inefficiencies. I mean, None of it is going to work, I don't think, as well as the 3 o'clock or your 3 a.m. guy, you know. Like, you're not going to go to the VA at 3 a.m. and or even think to call the VA at 3 a.m., but you're going to call your buddy who's going to come over and put his right. arm around you and say, hey, let's put on a movie and just hang out here. Yeah, um, we have, and, and that's what we have, The, the we have a, like a battle and distress program that if we need somebody, we will get you, we will get to you. Yeah, and, and, and it's somebody who understands. It's not yeah. a bureaucrat. Right, and we also... Um, you know, the, there's a, a new program now with law enforcement um, that, uh, you, you know, we have a thing with law enforcement that they will send crisis officers that are veterans. Awesome. To, yeah. to, to, wow. Because the last thing you want to do is you, you don't want to engage a veteran that's, you know, combat trained that you, you don't want to send, you know, because... You want somebody who understands the psychology and what's going on, you know. And so, well, that sort of fit, that 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 shifts us over to the the other the, another topic I wanted to cover, and then I think we're probably getting to the point where we got mm-hmm. maybe one or two things. But um, 
you know, you and I have a mutual friend. He's a prosecutor, and you, 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 I don't know if you mentioned it here today, but we've talked about it before. And there's this thing that I'm seeing emerge all around the justice system. It's called veterans court, right? Um, and you know, I don't even understand it completely, but it, it, you know, I just want to get your thoughts on. Tell us what veterans court is from your perspective. Um, its effectiveness, because I see a lot of veterans with alcohol issues. And but when I say I see them, I represent people charged with crimes. And when, when people call me, it's usually not their best day and they need my help. Um, there's a lot of veterans who need my help and they don't even know that I, I can sort of like see the psychology of it. Maybe it's a domestic violence, maybe it's substance abuse, whatever, or maybe it's completely unrelated and they're just veterans. Um, and then we get to court and there somebody will say, Oh, this is a good candidate for veterans court. So take it from there, George, what, what's that all about? So when, uh, when Mike, um, they've started veterans court across the U S our, our friend, Mike. Yeah. And uh, so one of the things they've started here in Columbus, and it's been pretty effective. One of the things that, that happens is that when you go to when you go to court, um, you're dealing with some issues that you, you might have dependency issues. And that that happens. And, and then, you know, the other thing is, you know, do you want to put a veteran in, in general population uh, or, you know, send him to prison for something that, you know, they could have been treated easier if he had gotten treatment beforehand? Mm-hmm. And you know that that's a question that, that arises all the time. Is like, well, wait a second, what cost him to get here? You know, and and is the government somehow part and parcel? I don't want to say responsible, but look, if somebody served the country and advanced our general interest, and that caused this problem that got him there, that's that's different than somebody who might even have the same kind of problem that didn't happen as a result of serving the greater population. Yeah. yeah and, I think and, that is different. And it is. And, and then the problem is that people, you know, here, here's the thing that usually the, what you don't have in, um, in the, in veterans court or in veterans, you're, you're not going to have, you know, sexual assault crimes. You're not, you're going to have a veteran, you know, if, if they do that, then, you know, fry them, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. but they're going to have issues of bad judgment. Anger management issues I've seen. People get drunk and they got anger issues and they explode and something happens, a bar fight, a spousal abuse, that kind of thing. And so we can forgive stupidity. We can't forgive evil. That That's that's mm-hmm. the whole thing. And I, I'll give you an example of this. I was in the short north at a bar and I have a couple of friends of mine that are police officers. And one of them is a police officer that is was my corpsman. And we have a pact. And this is, you know, here in Columbus. If we call you, if we are drunk um, and you need help, we don't care. You know, we will come get you. And so I called my buddy who's a Columbus police officer and I said, hey, you need to come get me. I'm at this bar because either if you don't get me now, you're going to have you're going to have the corner here in about another hour or so because, I, you know, and so he sent a cruiser to come get me. And, you know, that that, you know, because. We had been drinking, and we had a couple of you know whatever I call them the the you know the chads down there. Yeah, and so you know I made one phone call and I said, hey, um, you know, hey, sergeant, yeah, you need to come get me. Um, he sent a cruiser to you know to get me out of there because it was going to turn bad. the The last thing you want to do is put people in a situation where there's there's no outs. So what is it? So help me out here because that's an interesting. Uh, scenario you've described you had the wherewithal to say look I recognize the triggers that are right in front of me and I know that this is about to go to a place that's not good for me I've got this resource I'm going to use it it's like 
what intervention, like, well, how do we get to that? How do we get people to that spot where they recognize it and, and do it? Like, you have to tell them that it's available. You have to tell the people that this is available. And this is one of the things that why one of the things we focus on is a making sure that veterans have a place to talk, to vent, if nothing else. I mean, we have uh, one of the things we do here in Columbus is we have a thing called uh, Coffee with Coaches. So about once a month, we get there's a, a, about 10 veterans get together we, and we have coffee and we just bitch and we talk about everything but combat. You're not allowed to talk in it. You're not allowed to bring up combat. You cannot... You know, you you bring you talk about things that are are concerning you. You know, hey, you know, I'm I'm having troubles over here, or or nothing else. We just talk about everything but combat, and and, and the reason is that you don't want to. Once you start talking about combat, it starts forcing people down a dark hole, mm-hmm. right? And then so what we do is there's a place for that, but not then, right? Not yeah, then. Right. So we we sit there and talk about you know, um, uh, you know, we, we talk about Ohio State football. We talk about training. We talk about you know, here's um, we have a thing that we you know about repurposing your life, all those things. But we get it. We make sure that you have a a, a place to vent or at least to talk about things that you know, concern you, you know, like, Hey, um, how, how's my diet going? How's my training going? Hey, this is, you know, something that we could use to make sure you have, you know, uh, joint dexterity, things like that. And it, it gives people a place to, to what's amazing forward versus backwards. You're giving people alternatives. It's like, what's interesting is it's sort of collateral, but it's not. You're like, all right, so we're going to get on the radio and we're just going to start talking about vets. But because of that, we're going to get more vets to listen to us and we're going to engage in more vets. And because they're engaged with us and we're vets too, we're going to understand their problems. And then maybe they're going to feel comfortable asking us for help for their problems. And we can organically funnel them into all these different places. And what you're talking about here is sort of the same. You're like, look, we're not going to go talk about combat. We know that's really what's screwing us all up, but we're not going to talk about that. Mm. We're going to talk about our workout regimen or this or something else. And then in the organic context of that, people start to come out of the darkness a little bit and get the help they want. It, it's it's a fascinating. I'm not a psychologist, but this is fascinating. And you guys have stumbled on it, I think, without even recognizing yeah, and how, how deep it really is. And one of the things we you know that we have is that we have a weekly check on your buddy. You know, um, I'll give you a funny. God, I wish I had that guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I got my dog. And I, I'll give you an example. I so I have a friend of mine from you know that was my roommate. I sent him a text one day, right? And I said, "Hey, just want to tell you I love you." Three minutes later, the phone rings, and it's his wife, and she's like, "Who the hell is this?" Oh, oh no! Oh no! And, and she goes, I, "I said, I said this is George," and she goes, "What is wrong with you?" And, and, and she goes, "Why are you sending my husband texts and saying I love your brother?" And I said, "Hey," and I said, "Listen, I've taken naked showers with your husband before you ever did." Right. And, That's awesome. And, and so. Those are little things that during the day that, you know, we we say to people, hey, reach out to your buddy, even if it's just even if somebody just, you know, say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Hey, are you okay? Well, and I think, you know, for whatever it's worth as as a non-veteran looking in at this, these are not things 
that wouldn't that are that aren't important in every other area too outside the veterans organizations like look if, if everybody did this if everybody would say look i know a guy i went to college with or i went to high school with or i used to be childhood friends with who's struggling and you just thought i'm going to reach out to that guy and say and just check in on him and that's happened to me a couple times i went through some hard times and people would text me hey man what's going on you cool let's get breakfast tomorrow or what's okay and just hearing it sometimes makes all the difference but how many people actually think about doing it we, I, from what I and I didn't really practice this during the COVID era, but you heard a lot of people doing that checking in during mm-hmm. COVID because of, of older adults that just right. didn't get out because they were afraid to go out, so they had people checking in on them. I think it great. And, and and the other thing is that you also we have a stigma in the male in the male community because you know men are you know men commit suicide at a higher level because you know we grew up at a time hey you know we're more successful at it. Yeah. 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 I think, I think women might attempt more, but they don't succeed. Men succeed almost every time they try. Right. And you know, you go, Hey, um, you know, you, 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 you drank, you know, and and if the bottom, if the answer was at the bottom of the bottle, you'd have the answer at the first bottle. And that's a good good point. You know, but one of the things is that you, you know, when's the last time you just sat down with one of your buddies and just, just talk. And one of the things that, that happens and, this is outside of the veteran community, but it happens when men use code words and we have a problem with deciphering those. So if you have a, one of your male friends says to you, I'm tired, mm, yep. you know, and I had a couple of friends of mine said, I, I and I, and I checked with them. I said, what kind of tired are you? Are you physically tired or are you emotionally tired? Because if you are emotionally tired, Hey, let, you know, let, let's talk about this because that, you know, and so, you know, men use, I'm not going to say subtlety, but they're not going to just come out and say, Hey man, I'm having a really tough time right now. Um, I need somebody to talk to. And, you know, and as we age sometimes, you know, one of the things that it seems to be is that it, it, if you don't have a, fr- a good friend, um, it's hard to be vulnerable. Because you you have to trust that other person with your feelings, mm-hmm. and so if you're not if you don't have somebody if you don't have a safe space a safe harbor somewhere you can say hey man I'm having a hard time with this what you know I need to 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 vent you know what what's the next step because you take a look at at people that you know you take a look at Anthony Bourdain uh, Robin Williams and, you know and, and people that you you think are successful. Um, and there's even, um, you know, there, there's a, I don't know how to say this. Um, th- there are people that have looked at the Heath Ledger uh, uh, death, and they said that that was more of a suicide than he overdosed because he was having in a, in a dark place. And so that you know, where we think that people overdose, is it an overdose by accident? Is there an overdose on purpose to you know commit suicide? Or a reckless one, like I don't give a crap either way. Right, right, yeah. and Which so is really the second, right. So if you don't have a safe space to be vulnerable at, you know what happens then? You keep all your feelings inside, and you just say one day you're like, "Hey, screw it, I'm done. I'm going to check out." Well, I've said this many times. It's it's really really lonely to be a strong man because you don't you don't have those out. Like we don't get to go complain to people. We don't get to go talk to people and and, and bitch about so and so and this and that and the other. It's like, uh, look, you, you throw the load on your back and you march on. That's what we do, you know, and that's. Uh, I, it, it, it's it's not weak 
to do what you're talking about doing. It's actually very healthy and enables you to enable it enables me when I talk to my buddies to actually take on more more responsibility and be better at being a man, generally speaking. So, you know, I think everybody needs a dose of that sometimes. And, you know, you think about it. I mean, if you, you know, and I'm not listen, I'm not pushing religion because that's, you know, that's the last thing. But when we were more church going, you had fellowship. You know, you had a, you know, you had a fellowship, you know, you, you could go talk to your priest, your pastor, you know, you had elders that you could go to, you know, you had the deacons, you had, you know, and now we've taken, you know, not just with social media, but with lifestyle, we've taken that away from people. And not only that, it's been replaced with like really bad stuff. Like here, buy more things, get a bigger right. house, go, li- go keep up with the Joneses. And uh, no, I'm with you 100. percent Well, you know. and even to your point, maybe even the church community is not necessarily the deacons and the priests and the, and the preachers. It's the people you're sitting with in pews. Right. That's your community. That's your support. You realize that you're that, not unlike everybody else, right. and you have a support structure. It's and, the after church donuts and coffee, and you're talking. Right. I, and I, it, nothing else that that's disappearing. And that's what we why we we did the you know why we do the coffee with coaches. Yeah. We we get together with you know to say hey we're we're gonna have coffee and donuts. And by the way, the Snow and Fox up at Easton, you know, I mean, not yeah. in New Albany. It's it, there. They got the best cinnamon rolls in Columbus. <laughs> oh, really? I, I mean, okay. I would you know look. I, I know this is bad, but I would kick a toddler over the wall for him. <laughs> I mean, it, it, those things are like, they, you know, they're oh. better than CeCe's cinnamon rolls. Oh, my gosh. So, well, look, a couple of things just to wrap it up. You, are you guys a 501c3? Do you have a. Yeah, we have a. We have, so, uh, what do people do if they're going to look you up, yeah. if they're going to find more about what you're doing, and, or if they even want to donate to your cause? Um, uh, how do you do it? We're on Facebook. We're at, um, we're at uh, Vet, Vet Radio Syndicate. We're on Facebook. And then we have uh, our website is vet, vetrs.com. Um, you can look up there if you, um, uh, the, the one thing that, like I said, if you want, if you want to support a vet or, you know, reach out to us and we'll put you in the, you know, contact, we've had like 15 different nonprofits we deal with and just say, Hey, you know, this is, um, the, the most thing that we say about, you know, if you are going to, you know, if you want to help veterans, um, be an American worth fighting for, you know, just be a better person. What I mean, do you guys say? Now I got to ask. So thank you for your service. I see a, I see some soldiers uh, or servicemen in a restaurant. And I pay their tab. Like what, what's the what's the what do you guys think of that? I, I think it's it's great awareness because people that grew up in the '80s and served in there, we had a we had an era with the Vietnam veterans. We really didn't care about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had an era that we we really didn't care about. Didn't even know. Right. Yeah, yeah, they didn't even know and. And part of the problem was that, you know, after 9-11, I, I, I mean, I, one of the things that was be more evident because of media, not just social media, but media in general, they realized what veterans deal, I mean, what actual soldiers and Marines and all that go through because there's actually footage of it. Um, one of the worst events that ever happened during Vietnam War was, you know, Way City. So one of the the guys that was a dear friend of mine, Doug Kirk, was being shot at at the Ohio University campus in Way City. And, you know, he had to call, you know, he was, they were literally stuck there and they had to call in. He was there for two days and couldn't move because, you know, they were pinned down. They finally had a group, you know, the Marines come in and get him out of there. There's no record of it. Mm. 
there there's no there's very little footage of uh, you know because uh, there there's there's just very little f- footage of it because we didn't have it embedded reporters um a Shaw Valley if anybody's ever heard about a Shaw Valley is one of the the you know we had uh 12 SF guys another 20 support troops took on 1200 uh, uh, via con there's no record of it I mean, other than, you know, the reporting of it, there's no video of it. There is GoPros uploading a video from fights in, you know, Fallujah. Almost in real time. Yeah. In real time um, in, you know, Swat Valley and, and all that. So one of the things I think became apparent is what our troops are actually going through when they are deployed. And I think that that, I think it's better. And I, and I think that we realize that, you know, if you take a look at absent of the political, uh, you know, theater that we were very, you know, the kabuki theater that we used for politics. If you see a veteran to say thank you, it, it means a lot because a lot of them usually don't get, you know, especially an older veteran uh, because they never they never came home to a parade. They never came home to, you know, any recognition whatsoever. Um, they were, you know, a lot of and. Everybody th- thinks about this, but there is instances where you know veterans came for, through from Vietnam that got spit on. Yeah, and and that's a uh, no, that, that, uh, hor- horrendous, absolutely horrendous. Mm-hmm. Well, look, we got to wrap it up with that. Um, great show, you know, great. I mean, we Thank could. There, there's like ten other things I'd love to talk to you about, and obviously we'll we'll do our best to bring you back in and, and do some more of this. But uh, uh, you know, as usual, we're Common Sense Ohio. You can check us out at commonsenseohioshow.com, our website where you can catch the backlog of shows, or if you just go to wherever you get your podcast, you can check us out there too. We ask everybody to do the same thing. You guys probably do. Please like it and share it because, uh, you know, this kind of stuff grows organically. Um, I believe in the microphone. I believe in the round table. We have discussions like this that get out. And uh, the more you share, uh, if you like it, maybe your, your buddy will too. And lest I forget, before I wrap it up with my usual nonsense, George, thank you for your service. No, thank, yeah, thank you for your you. support. Thank you. Yeah, and what you're doing. I mean, it, it, phenomenal. So. Yeah. Anyway, Common Sense Ohio coming at you right from the middle, at least until now.